Restaurant Unstoppable, episode three, three, two. We have to believe in it too. So you have to get, you have to go down and figure out exactly what it is, is your dream. Because a lot of people will say, I want to open the best restaurant ever and win a James Beard Award. But what does that really mean to anybody? Yeah. You know, and, and we strongly believe. In, and here we are just trying to make the cheeseburger that you can't possibly live without over and over again. So for us to package that dream, it ends up being fairly easy, in the, like I said, in the sense that it strikes a chord with everybody. There's a familiarity. You can bring your kids and you can bring your grandparents and you can all have a great time there. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurantowner.com. And if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable, you will get a 10-day pass for only $1. Get on it. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. All right. <laughs> so with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef, Matthew Godet. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? Unstoppable. Let's do this. Oh man, I'm feeling unstoppable. You this look is my it. first. Thank you. It's amazing <laughs> to see you. First ever live episode here at the free point hotel thank you to the hotel for hosting us uh i'm feeling pumped up this is going to be a good one so uh i'm actually wearing pants too which is kind of weird usually i don't have to wear pants for these it's but. just gave me a whole <laughs> new image of the last time so uh, all of you that have listened to this podcast before remember that yeah right yeah. <laughs> so this is our second time talking chef godette was on the show for the first time episode 106 uh, and that was almost two years ago, over two years ago. So what we're going to be doing today is kind of picking up where we left off. So if you're listening to this and you didn't catch that episode, hit pause, go back to episode 106, get caught up. Uh, and we're going to kind of talk about from, you know, what happened from episode, uh, 106 or two years ago to now, like where you are, some of the, the decisions you made, then you were the chef proprietor of the Westbridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had some incredible accolades there, including best chef by food and wine magazine, I believe 2013. Sure. So you were like on a roll uh, and some things happened. So I'm really interested to find out why they happened and to kind of get that journey from there to where we are today. Cool. So I guess before we really dive into it, let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh, wow. Success quote. So I think 
Over the past two years, you start to learn about what you really want in life, and I think it's about staying true to who you really are and not trying to go for something that isn't necessarily you and really go deep down to your heart and in your gut and soul and think about where you want to be in life and what it takes to get there. Why does that matter? Because you've got to be happy, man. It's a balance in life. You can't just do everything one way. Yeah, I mean, it's tough work. Like, you're going to, like, do some crazy hours. Like, you need to enjoy what you're doing or you just won't have. There's a time and a place for everything. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Beautiful. So, okay, so I guess from what I understand, two years ago, you were crushing it at the Westbridge. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Incredible accolades. What happened from that time we last talked to 2016, I believe, was when, or 2015. I think our last service was New Year's, 15. So what happened in that time where we left off? Uh, it came down to my business partner, Alexis, and I really getting to, like I said, just getting down, reaching down and figuring out where we wanted to be in life and was this the path we wanted to go down. Westbridge was everything we wanted it to be and more. What did you want it to be? A really successful but innovative and free thinking and restaurant with a strong culture and dynamic of teamwork, front and hot back of the house, all working together and putting the guest experience first and being sort of an oasis for the guests and sort of putting ourselves in the back. And after a while, those things, you know, it becomes a hard job. It's mm. also hard to maintain the skill level in people. It's a demanding town with a lot of, a lot of competition for restaurants as well as labor and help. And trying to get that flowing and continue the flow becomes grueling work as well. So specifically with the West Bridge, what part about that operation was specifically hard uh maintaining the the level of difficulty and the food and the process and the service level that we wanted with the the talent level around us so we'd always get a couple rock stars that would come and go but then filling in around it was a lot of work and then i think the biggest stumbling block for that place too was a landlord so we can always talk about landlord issues and things like that because the restaurant was functioning just fine but after a while, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be. I didn't necessarily want to be a chef that was working six days a week till 1.30 in the morning, 80, 90 hours a week. I'm, it was what I wanted to be five years previously, and then we attained it, and it was hard to carry that sort of drive all the way through it because there was other things I wanted to do. And Westbridge was a certain location. It was a place. It was a body. It was a culture. It was a living organism that sometimes weighed us down the word albatross came up from time. So there was a lot of projects that we, were, we missed because of the, the chain that we had to that restaurant. We had to be there. And it was either so busy you had to be there or it was not busy enough you had to be there. And then I was traveling a lot to promote it. And it's exhausting. And after a while, I said to myself, I don't think I really want to be this guy five years from now. So how do I adjust my life and work life to be able to enjoy more things as the days go on? So one thing uh, I think as far as you know, business operations goes and like the, the industry in general right now is struggling with is something that you just mentioned not too long ago, which is that idea of finding the talent. And when you're mm-hmm. doing something like you, what you were doing at Westbridge, that extreme, just like from scratch, nose to tail, like deep stuff. Um, yeah, we, we had a mantra there in the kitchen. We do everything the longest possible way. Yeah, which is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I love that people are leaning in that direction. I feel like we really got too far away from food. But yeah. At the same time, the biggest challenge in the industry, talking to all these people I talk to, is finding 
people. Yep. Uh, and when you're doing food at that level, that, that difficulty must be just Yeah, the learning curve was really hard there. There's, we, we weren't able to take people in off the street and teach them. You either had to be able to skills and the chops to get in there and do it, or it was going to hurt really bad. So it was either have way too many people that couldn't do the work or have one or two or five people that were great. And we had that for years. We had really solid guys and girls that went on to either manage restaurants or become chefs, sous chefs, all around the country. It was super successful that's awesome. lineage. And that's the thing I'm most proud of. Is, yeah. You know, Marcus Samuelson said to me, he's like, you're, you're, his legacy is only as good as mine. And I feel the same way. It's, it's, you know, I feel really proud and, and humbled by the fact that these characters have gone on to really take control of their own ships and find their path and even push further. Yeah, and we talked great. about that too. Yeah. Uh, like your role as a restaurateur, as a restaurant or as a manager, mm-hmm. is to lift up those around you and get them to the point where you are beyond yeah. you. And that's, it sounds like you set up a lot of people for success, which is brilliant. Um, but if we could just hone into one or two big takeaways um, on why you think Westbridge isn't here, what would they do, th- those two things be? Uh, those two things would be first... Probably the difficulties with the landlord and the relationship. You have to have, as a business owner that's leasing a space, you have to have a really symbiotic relationship with the landowner. And those relationships can be very difficult. And I think you'll see a lot of people get into bed with the wrong proprietors and, and developers and things like that. And rents are through the roof right now, unvalued so. And I, to sustain the restaurant business, there's such a small, low bottom line profit margin that you have to have those costs in in line and you have to be working with somebody that wants those costs in line for everybody to prosper it doesn't make any sense to charge 150 a square foot when you know you you need to make x amount of money to break even like three million dollars four million dollars to break even that means you have to sell out your food because you have to pack the place so if you're trying to do something really esoteric and really interesting you either downsize and you go out further out mm-hmm. or you have to get some sort of subsidized you know space which in, 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 in this case would be working with a landlord or developer that really believes in your passion and your product and is willing to take the hit on their end because it's probably will better off better them in some other way as an amenity to apartments or uh, building businesses around them dive into that take the hit on their end what be specific on what you, so people the landlord can charge whatever they want right for land because okay. we want to open restaurants that's what our goal is in life but they want to make money on the property but the business isn't going to last if the cost of the property and the expenses that go into it, whether it's you know the insurance or the cam as well as the base rent, if all that's so inflated because you know Joe Landlord wants it to be because he wants his money in the end, then the sustenance of the, the sustainability of that restaurant is now in jeopardy. So if there's a snowstorm in, say, February, or, yeah, February 2015, we're 128 inches laying on the ground, yeah. and we're closed for multiple times in, the, in that month, and you can't get orders, and Uber's out, and you can't get people to your place, there's nowhere to park, and you lose $200,000 in a month, and you're paying, that's, that's about the time when you're paying for everything from New Year's and Christmas and the holidays, and you have invoices piling up, and you still have rent through the roof, and your landlord's not plowing your patio, and your access to the sidewalk, it's kind of a no-brainer as to who's the bad guy here. Okay. So you need to have that symbiotic relationship with each other to believe in the same thing. And we didn't have that. And part of the Westbridge thing was, you know what? <laughs> Screw you too. You know, we're gone. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's something that comes up a lot in the show. When we're getting started, we're so just into our own thing, and we can get so blinded by just the the North Star, whatever it is we're trying to – what we believe in. Yeah. And we forget that our investors need to believe, our mm-hmm. partners need to believe, our landlords need to believe because yeah. it's, it's, it's what you're doing or why you're doing what you're doing, not necessarily what you're doing that – is important. Yeah, I mean, think about it. What it, what really is a restaurant? You know, is it is it a place for people to gather and 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 live out a dream for the night and forget their days and their stressful lives and maybe broken relationships or new relationships are being you know created, or is it an ego driven? I put food on a plate and I make the best cocktail. I mean, situation where I we have better service than everybody else. Is it that or is it? Hey, man, like. Can we all get along? No. <laughs> it's it's basic, or is it is it the situation where it's both? You know, because you want to bring in people into a situation. The restaurant's basically you hosting a party. You're 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 never the the front and center of it all. It's always the guest's front and center. But at the same time, it has to be a sustainable business because, from my point of view, it's a storefront. We're selling something. We're buying a product and then fixing it up and putting lipstick on it, making it look cute, and yeah. then selling it for a little bit more. And then people are supposed to be having a good time. Yeah. And it's an oasis for them. So but if the landlord and the investors all kind of get in there and disagree with some of these aspects, then you're going to have a problem. Because okay. what do they say? Like, it takes a village, right? Okay. So for the one person that's listening to this right now who's maybe about to sign that lease, mm-hmm. give them just one piece of knowledge of something that you definitely learned from this experience that we can just walk away from real quick. Summary. Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, look at the flexibility of the rent situation and look at the firmness of it all and then see what kind of hidden costs are in there and see what the – have an honest conversation and see where both parties want to be in – 10 years, the yeah. typical lease, right? Yeah. You, want, you want to stay in business and be prosperous. You want to take a paycheck home. And then they want to have their rent paid, and they want to have typically, like I said, it's amenities, the neighborhood, or the building above. Yeah. And the other thing, just listening to you talk and kind of making assumptions, and feel free to correct me if I'm yeah. taking a swing and a miss here, but was the other thing that really kind of did it in for the West, and was it just you not really – you, you hit your goal. You, you did what you yeah, wanted to do. Yeah, kind of hit a little early. Did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, you did it. And, yeah. uh, it's not so hard. Did you lose the fire? <laughs> like, did, did you start like, wanting to get others to try new things? Like, what was yeah, exactly? we, uh, we had plans on a couple different locations. We were on the dotted line for space in Union Square in Somerville to do sort of this preliminary quick service kind of thing. Um, and it was a cool idea. But then, once again, that winter hit. And then the, the work that it took to run Westbridge pulled us out of that and we didn't weren't able to do it so there was there was other things that we wanted to do and and you can see that now i have so many projects now because i have more free time even though i own a couple restaurants it's weird (laughs) and um but i think also i would strongly recommend taking a good look at your quality of life because you're only getting older and it's not easy there's things you're going to miss that you're not going to get back and it's not it's important it's important to be around so, finish my sentence. We closed the Westbridge because... We wanted to improve our quality of life. Love it. Okay. Yeah. It's so important. Um, I mean, at the end of the day... we only My business it. partner lives in Sydney, Australia <laughs> right now. Oh, beautiful. She's loving it. Uh, you did incredible yeah. things. I think it, it's just... Gr- we have to take the time to acknowledge what you did accomplish. Uh, I appreciate that. The, you know, the accolades you did earn. And, uh, yeah, we busted you, a hump for that. You know, you, you did food right. So Thank c- you. Congratulations. And I'm curious now um, what the transition was like. So... Uh, 
tell me like why superfood like you, you super first, fine sorry super fine food uh when we uh it were talking food, last time, yeah <laughs> super fine food uh we were talking last time you said you got to sell the dream so when you were mm-hmm. coming up with this this vision of yours like what was the dream and like how did that all evolve it's still evolving it's an interesting thing um so we used to do these ribs at Westbridge, and we used to sell the crap out of them. They'd go crazy, and they were uh, quickly fried. And we didn't have a fryer because I didn't want to do French fries or anything like that because I had done enough of that in my <laughs> French bistro days. And uh, so I purposely didn't put one in, and we ended up getting one of those tabletop ones. And then imagine doing five, ten, fifteen orders of these ribs in this little bubbling fryer. And I said, why have we got this big, giant restaurant doing all these tasting menus and all this fancy stuff and people are just coming for those ribs? So we said, what if we just did ribs? Okay. And so that thought process started parlaying out. And, um, and then it became more about what have been my favorite foods in all my life? And now it's grown into what are my favorite foods and, as a cook and as a chef? Where do I run to for comfort and fun? And so Superfine is essentially a giant adult kids menu. And it's every indulgence you ever wanted. So, and from, from probably the best fried chicken, sorry everybody, to <laughs> burgers, pizza, ribs, as well as we utilize a lot of artisanal products and all the local farms. So this is like, like the ultimate dream for you. Like since yeah, you're totally. like, like all my favorite things, yeah. all my passions. Uh, we close passions. at nine during the week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and which is really important because you mentioned earlier, like it's your dream. Like you have to like, it has to be yeah. like something that's important to you that you care about. Yeah, totally. And one other thing I think is really important that I think is kind of one of the ways of the future is instead of trying to do everything okay, people are realizing that I'm probably better off doing a few things the best. Yeah. Yeah, better than everybody else. Yeah, that's, we're the, probably the harshest critics of everything we do, and you can't imagine how many fried chicken sandwiches I've eaten yet, and there's still not yet one on the menu <laughs> because we haven't got the best one yet. Yeah, but we keep working towards it, and it's it seems crazy, but the making a pizza dough is yeah, you can go buy it from some parent company or you can spin whatever, but pizza dough's real, man. It's living. It's a it's a fermenting it's growing it's being there it, it changes with the weather and for us to maintain that and manage it is an experience in and of itself and to have these say six or seven staple items that are true to me and we're looking at expanding in some couple other different flavor profiles because you can't live life without dumplings right yeah. yeah, exactly. And faux soup, come on. There you go. How many fuck can you drink? Can you drink? <laughs> oh my god. So but we, we, we look at taking these comfort things and just elevating them to the next level, but not to a place where they're, they're pretentious. They're supposed to be eating with your hands and kind of messy and be fun. And I think Westbridge was a place where we had fun with the food, and, and we, I've done a lot of fine dining, places where you can't speak. We have a turntable. When somebody walks in the door, we scream hello. We spin the records. We play video games. We, we have a good time. It's like taking off the chef white and just flipping it around in the air and going crazy and living a good life, but maintaining that all the product is still a spot on, but we don't put this big pretentious flag around it. So I'm going to try to summarize the mission. It seemed like to really delivered what you love the most and your time, yeah. uh, you know, the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours working in restaurants, all these things that you love about what you cook, focus on that. Mm-hmm. It's important to you. Um, so how are you going to sell that dream? Because it's one thing to have the dream. You have to then package Come it. Come on in. 
Yeah, <laughs> but to, to investors, right? So yeah. um, when I talked to you the first time, yep. uh, you put a lot of, you give some really great emphasis on, or emphasis, but advice on yeah. how to get those investors. You said, mm-hmm. first go your A-listers. Yep. Uh, if that doesn't work, make sure you have those B-listers and just, just kind of assume yeah, that funny. they're going to take your, away. Your secondary list is usually the one that come, kind of comes through because if you come at somebody sort of too aggressively, they're like, whoa. And then at the other thing, I think what you're getting at is sort of that sell the dream. Um, for Superfund, it's fairly easy because it strikes a chord in everybody. You know, the, a craveable burger, you know, uh, that, that slice of pizza that takes you back to the time you're 2 a.m., maybe 3, wandering down, you know, 2nd Ave or, you know, Avenue A, and you stopped at Ray's and got a slice. And not to say we do Ray's pizza, but, you know, that satisfying moment when you have pizza when you need it. And then what's better than sticky, you know, gooey, awesome barbecue that's smoky and all delicious? And then, you know, you hit a lot of chords that are familiar with people and, being a little too far out of the box and esoteric with food is, is great for moments, but we're looking at trying to sustain food and dining and fun for families in the, in the burbs. We've gone away from sort of making a dinner experience and more of a cultural lifetime experience, and we expect and often are part of somebody's week multiple times. So how do you sell that? How do you package that and sell that to people who are going to get behind you? And the big lesson that you had, you know, partner with people, investors, landlords that buy into the dream. How, yep. If you could just give us some advice on the, the most important thing we need to be thinking about when trying to pitch that dream to get people to invest in our business. We have to believe in it, too. So you have to, get, you have to go down and figure out exactly what it is. Is your dream? Yeah. Because a lot of people will say, I want to open the best restaurant ever and win a James Beard Award. But what does that really mean to anybody? Yeah. You know, and in, we strongly believe in, in the fact that out of, we have 50, 55 years of, of, of dining experience, culinary experience in our, in our partnership. And here we are just trying to make the cheeseburger that you can't possibly live without over and over again. So for us to package that dream, it ends up being fairly easy in this, like I said in the sense that it strikes a chord with everybody there's a familiarity you can bring your kids and you can bring your grandparents and you can all have a great time mm. there and why we, is that important to you? because that's that's what it's about you know it's not it's I don't want to be a special occasion place I don't you know it's not my thing anymore mm. it's uh it's important for me to be part of the, the neighborhood. I want a place where my daughter can come. She's three now, and she comes when she's 15 with her friends and hangs out. It's like, Daddy's Restaurant. Is it is? She drives by, and she's at Daddy's. And I want it to be important that they can eat fun, and they can also eat really well and healthy. So it's, and it's important that neighborhoods, neighbor people come in and are part of that. So you want, the community is what makes you. And being born part of the community has been a really great Great experience so far. I love it, Chef. Uh, and just one thing, uh, listening to you talk, reflecting on some of the big lessons I had, and you, what triggered it is when you said, oh, I want to be a James Beard Award winner or whatever, like best restaurant, best chef. Right. People who look outward and look at those kind of goals almost never really achieve them. It's the people who look inward, like you've been doing, inner yeah. search of what matters to you and getting really just close to the work you're doing and going deeper and deeper into yourself, growing learning and finding out what's important because you need to know what's important to you before you can get anybody else on board. It- yeah. I, I, I had a philosophy teacher when I was in college, um, professor Wasmer, he was a Jesuit and he was really harsh about a lot of things, but we had a ethics class. And of course we're all college kids. So we're like 20, 21 years old. 
He said, you, I don't even know why you're here, he'd say to us. You don't know anything until you're 40. <laughs> and even then, you still don't know anything, so you're still trying to figure it out. And I think that process of finding who you are and what you are is a lifelong goal. And when it comes to entrepreneurship and businesses and things like that, they're always going to change and they're always going to evolve. And you need to be okay with that, for one, but also keep a target on that this is who you are. Mm. And, I mean, that's why people open multiple restaurants because they can pass the keys off to the kid behind them or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in this case, it's, we're looking to take Superfine to multiple neighborhoods where we, where we can embrace those cult- you know, communities. I love it. So let's talk about opening the restaurant, finding the partners. Uh, did you learn anything from your experience at Westbridge? Uh, and did you apply those lessons to open Superfine differently? Yeah, I looked a lot harder at the numbers. Um, trying to come up with the equation. So opening a restaurant, probably any business ever, is, a, is basically a simple math equation. You have square footage, you have base rent, you have how many people can come in there, you have the product that's going to drive the people in the door, and then that price point is, gets decided on that and you're, because of seating and whatnot. So you create this math equation, and you know, there's a lot of people that open restaurants ambitiously and then close them because the math equation didn't line up. Westbridge was an easy sell because we had a pretty decent equation over there <laughs> so it sounds like you just were generally more proactive less reactive really yep. thinking about what you're going to do and why you're going to do it yep yeah i look at i look at um square footage i look at communities i talk to the my our bank advisors we look at how um <clears throat> traffic is we look at parking um manchester there's none marblehead there's a ton um we did more takeout than we ever expected to do so we've learned a lesson in that and that we need to be more prepared for that but we look at um, just sort of the, the general competition level. And then we look at the base value and the rents and then what the landlords or developers are promising is a maintenance level. So Manchester, we, we got the space for next to nothing. But we are involved in all the internals. We don't, own, we don't have any recourse if, if it floods. If the ceiling breaks, they take care of that. Whereas the next place, if we have to change the wiring in the walls, they take care of that. So you get these relationships and that you want to work together with with the landlords. So we build these models, so to speak, mentally, and then work them out. And there's plenty of places that we pass on because they just don't work. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm curious about partnerships, too, which mm-hmm. is a big uh, – part of you know being successful in this industry is finding the right partners knowing your lane staying your lane finding people who are good in different lanes like you were talking about with alexis she was a rock star in the front of house and you were a rock star in the back of a house and that really allowed you to have that impact and go deep on your work and she could go deep on her work with this situation you're with a bunch of chefs yeah so a bunch of knuckleheads yeah so how is this changing uh (laughs) the i guess the the that like saying like that holy partnership that's so important like how is that different i think it's because it's such a relaxed place that it's a little bit easier we um we've hired well we have some decent people um uh culinarily speaking we have we're pretty well tapped in um the front of the house situation because it's quasi fast you know casual um we do have a counter but we do go to tables um 
I don't know. Check your check your suburban dining. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's not the same as down here or even you know in the city. Um, we we're learning, but at the same time, I think it's an easier situation because people are a lot more easygoing. I think the community is, dare I say, more fun at times. Okay, um, and not necessarily as as picky. Although it can be really picky about the oddest things. So, I mean, you just never know what you're going to get. People are different okay. everywhere. So, um, you're counter- so, what I'm hearing is you're countering your, hire- like your, your partners. You have three chef partners. You're countering mm-hmm. this by really being smart about who you're hiring to kind of take over the- those areas that you're not so that yep. you're in love with. Yeah. Um, do you think that your success had anything to do with the- your ability to attract onto yourself these incredible hire- new hires? Like, how does yeah, that play into I don't it? Know. I never really consider it. Yeah. I just consider we're an opportunity and... We're a bunch of fun guys, you know. <laughs> like we, we just—I don't know. We take, we take the—I uh, don't know—take the curtains down or whatever, and just yeah. you know, this is how it is. So, it's so fun. dive into that. Why do you think uh, people are interested in joining? Why you're attracting this incredible talent when everybody in the industry is just crying and like dying on the inside because they can't find anybody to come work from? How are you finding these great people? Uh, we're just not driven by ego, you know. It's not about that. It's. Uh, you know, I still firmly believe in, in helping and advising and developing talents and people and things like that and learning as I go. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know, put the guard down. A lot of people, a lot of my peers and contemporaries, some are awesome and some have, you know, these massive egos that, you know, what we were just talking about, they believe their own hype. And uh, like that doesn't do you any good. And that pushes people away oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it is... Um specifically that these people see but when you about you and your, your partners when you lift up the curtain they can see you for who you are who are they seeing what is it exactly there's a little bit of vulnerability but it's also an honesty to the food i mean and just the way of doing business and we don't hide numbers or or or, or ill will or you know any happy moments it's all out there you know it's all it's all good and we also we're working to striving to build this brand as well as a community based around things so we want to employ people on the long run we want to give them the opportunity to be owners and partners as well okay so our goal isn't to just be three partners that own all these restaurants we don't want to own them all we want to share the profits with other people so they can have you know families and buy their houses and develop their lives and stuff like that i'll take a cut i don't i'd rather i'd rather take a cut on my percentage than worry that there's nobody driving the bus over there instead i have a couple people in place that care so much about that store because they're partners in it. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be? Dive into that. Go further about why it's so important to have skin in the game, to have a piece of the business. <laughs> why do people give part of my language more of a fuck when that happens? They will. I mean, it's why <laughs> I think it's human nature, right? You know, if you own it, if you're going to get something out of it, well, you're not going to watch it crash and burn. Yep. If it's your own baby, you want to watch it grow and, yep. and develop. Absolutely. So it's important. And I think it's, it's, I think the restaurant business is, is so hard in a lot of ways, and the profit margins are so small that people just grab for their own, whereas if you take a little less and you have the right math equation and you can share a lot of it, then you can grow exponentially Absolutely. because you're gaining a lot of faith in people. You're creating a really strong family. Yes. Know, some of it I learned from like, the people I worked with in New York. You know, There's a lot of people that I worked with at 11 Madison back in the day that are corporate heads for Union Square Hospitality Group yep. or you know, gone beyond. And so I, know I, I love the emphasis that you put on uh, during our first interview 
over two years ago on your role as the owner, manager, whoever the leader is to develop those people. And the truth is when you develop people, but you limit their ceiling, then they're, they're going to leave. They're going someplace else. Yeah. But if you give You've them just fostered great yes, talent and now left you and you didn't give them an opportunity yeah. to grow with your company. And that's why it's so powerful because now you can invest in these people. You can learn about them. Like what you said you did, you take time to learn about these people mm-hmm. and then invest in what they want to do. And that's your next yeah. restaurant, right? So yeah. you might be taking a cut right now, but you're building this incredible foundation of yeah, you know, just uh, people and making an impact on these lives. Marathon, not a yeah. sprint kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, um, yeah. So I also want to talk about uh, why a fast casual. Uh, and I think it's really interesting because the last question I asked you during our last conversation was what's one piece of advice uh, you could give us before we let you go that will just one going? piece of business advice. And that business advice was scale way back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just like paint the picture real quick what it was like opening the West Bridge and what it was like, just take like two minutes and then we'll jump into what it was like opening super fun. So Westbridge was, uh, you know, reclaimed wood from Pennsylvania. We, we put brick in the place. We had to paint it white. We had all have all this cool China, the glassware. We had to have this huge inventory of these esoteric bourbons and scotches and things like that. We were, had a pantry in the kitchen that had a standing inventory of around eleven, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 of, product we made everything from scratch from from cheese to vinegar to every fermented thing under the sun to all our breads every no we didn't we didn't buy anything but raw ingredients and really raw from various parts of the world and it was just a lot of hands-on and it was a it was a vision that i think was a smart one at the time i think there's other people that have kind of caught up to that view mm-hmm. or fake the funk as yeah. a lot of people do um, and, and it, and it paid off. It was, it was a cool thing. And it was getting all these people together that had these moments that were brilliance and, yeah. and, and enjoying it. So the advice was scale way back. So for somebody who wants to do that full service operation, uh, and they want to do something really beautiful, they have this incredible vision. What's your advice to that person? Start maybe small and scale into that ultimate vision. So you can, manage yeah. it better or do I you think, think you did it the right way i think westbridge was probably 20 seats too big for its own thought process okay um and that may be one of it and also now we have a, a code word um at Superfine. it's called dukes and when we get too involved into making something we just remember dukes mayonnaise okay it's that good <laughs> why are you making one you can't make it better than dukes so why are you making your own aioli okay you're wasting time man at Dukes. <laughs> so we scaled way back. And so we focus on having this small menu of perfectly executed simple dishes, whereas Westbridge was, like I said, millions and millions of little components. We must have done, I mean, we were averaging, I don't know, three to 400 five dishes a, a year, wow. maybe more. That's um, so in tw- four years, you can imagine how many dishes we did. Okay. And they were all over the map. And, and, there's so many different components involved in them. Too many, really. Yeah. And um, it was great, but it was a learning curve, too, where I realized it just stretched so far thin mm-hmm. that there wasn't necessary to do all that. So when I say scale back, it's focus. Are you going to do tasting menus? Be a tasting menu mm-hmm. place and just do that. And don't worry about what the world says. And it's if you're going to be, a, yeah. you know, you know uh, whatchamacallit, a la carte, maybe you don't need 24 items on the menu. Maybe you only need 12. Uh, plus dessert. So, 
I mean, I always forget about dessert. It's tough because I mean, first of all, like I need to just like take a moment to appreciate your discipline and your integrity to stick to what you said you were going to do. Cause I yeah, think a, huh? <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like a lot of people were like, this is what I'm going to do and be like, screw that. Yeah. That's way too hard. Let's scale back. But you stuck with it yeah. and you had that integrity to, and that's what, I mean, what else is integrity other than just, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and right. showing up every day and doing it. And man, like, like good for you. Cause uh, most people wouldn't have lasted as long. I don't think. Uh, so let's talk about scaling back. So yeah. super fine. Um, talk to us. How that was done, starting everything about that process that was scaled back that may, that is, has made your life a life where you can spend time with your daughter. Like, let's talk about the difference we, and how you set so those up. So Westbridge was about a million and a half to build, one point four. Um, Superfine was about three hundred thirty thousand, and all we wow. did was well, we had to do a lot of electrical work. Um, other than that, though, it was just a lot of demo. We had to undo about forty fifty years of bad decisions. Including the, the wiring, which is a little old. The okay. knob and tube isn't going to stay. Um, so the unfr- upfront investment is a lot less. So the payoff is a lot faster. And the financial nut, so to speak, is a lot smaller. And it's much more surmountable uh, mountain to get over to see actual profits. And our, I can't remember uh, prime costs were at Westbridge, but they're up there. Typical restaurant. Now they're in the low 70s or lower. Oh. So we're That's incredible. Yeah, our bottom line is down here. Yeah. And um and it's a lot easier to do. And we're charging nothing for food. I mean it's ten, twelve bucks a plate. So it's so, all about volume. So like operationally, um how has just com- compare your operation now, like how streamlined. Westbridge was about fifty people, um <laughs> Superfine's about ten. Okay. So what are some just cover some of the operational benefits of making that switch to a fast casual restaurant? So my, my, uh, my accountant for Westbridge <laughs> told me on our, on our last day, he's like, next time you open a place, this should be a new LLC, and it is. It's called One Page Payroll. Okay. OPP, baby. So why an LLC? Always. Okay. Every one's independent, man. Yep. Um, you know, liabilities. Yep. Um, so we have a one-page payroll. Okay. And that was probably one of the smartest things we did. Um, we why is that a, so important? Why is that? Because like, labor is expensive. Okay. And look at where the, uh, you know, the minimum wage is rocketing. I mean, look at, take a look at what's going on in California. Yep. I mean, how is that going to affect fine dining restaurants around the world? And then how does it affect a diner that you're going to be paying the same person $15 mm-hmm. an hour or more? Um, so you're seeing a lot of people go on salaries and they're becoming real jobs. And so the industry itself <clears throat> is in a sort of state of flux. Um, it's in a conundrum. Um, what's the restaurant industry made of on the front of the house? It's part-time um, workers. It's in New York. It's models and actresses and actors and things like that. In history, it's, it's the second job for the, for the mom at the diner. It's um, a, a guy filling in on the weekends, doing, you know, picking up shifts here and there to compensate for a, you know, maybe a bad season roofing or whatever. You know, I'm not trying to get into stereotypes, but it's these different filler jobs. Mm-hmm. Restaurants have been a catch-all for a lot of people. And then they've been dedicated uh, career people as well, but in a different level, in a different world. So now you have the same two sort of paradigms um, being cast the same. So it's different paradigms being cast the same way in the sense that if minimum wage skyrockets like this in, into the industry, and we all want the industry to be a sustainable industry where people aren't working like I was. You know, I think I took home 
in New York the first week, the first year I was there, 380 a, w- a month? No, 380 mm-hmm. every two weeks was okay. my paycheck. So that's an unsustainable way to live, yeah. right? That's way below any kind of line. Wow. So we and the world wants us to ri- raise that up and make it a sustainable life. But you can't ask these bottom lines and these restaurants and these slim margins to pay labor so much if they're carrying 40 to 60, 70, what is it? 11 Madison has 150 people working there. Wow. Like, how, like one restaurant, <laughs> how are they going to sustain this yeah. if everybody's making crazy wages? And, you know, it's moving into this direction of having ticketed meals and each ticket is priced accordingly to the time. And, you know, Friday at 8 o'clock costs more than Monday at 6, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So there's different things going around it. You see service charges all over the town now. That's happening everywhere. And no more tipping is happening now. So it's all built into the price and then it's deployed evenly around people. So the financial aspect of creating this world where people are going to be able to make money as a server, as a cook, as a dishwasher, and you know, have the American dream, so to speak, does it still exist? You know, it's, it's not like people are taking lunch pails to the factory anymore and expecting their wage that they can go out and buy that you know, three-family home back in the, like, in the 50s. But yeah. now there's that attitude that people want to be able to claim that. And so moving back in scale with the labor pool, labor on our end, we can now supply them with a much greater wage as well as a, a greater product. And, uh, and we talked about already is getting ownership to people and putting you know, skin in the game that that product's only going to get better. The more people yeah. care about it, the yep. more they are. And the more they're invested in it, the more yes. they care. And the more reward they get out of it, the better they are too. And <sighs> we're trying to make people happy about it. Yeah. We want people to be able to live a normal life. And like know? one thing, I, I, I've, I don't know if I've coined this, if I heard it someplace else, but it's behind every great restaurant, it's a great person. And that great person or the, the three great people that you know, your partnership is made of, um, you're being diluted with every new person that comes into that restaurant. Cause you got to imprint yourself onto that person. Oh, yeah. So if you only have 10 other people, you have to worry about making better people and, you know, imprinting onto that person, everything you've learned. Think about the impact you're going to have in that one person versus having 150 people. Right. So that's 10 times more like, you know, or I don't know, like whatever it is, I have more for <laughs> but uh, 15 okay, times man. more. Yeah. 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 Um, like you're being so diluted and you're not yeah. going to have an impact on people. Plus you're creating win-win situations is what I'm hearing where now your employees are, are can have a career orientated. Like I'm, I'm doing this for the long run. This is my career. I'm not just, it's not for a now job. Right. You're getting better hours. It's more consistent. People are going to bed, seeing their family, like, like yep. closing at nine, being home at a reasonable hour. Yeah, it's yeah. a normal lifestyle, yep. uh, which is very you powerful. Know, you put um, quotes around it. Cause you know, that's yeah, right? normal. What is normal? Um, but we're seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people, Peers and, and whatnot come back to me and say, you know, they're not sure what their next move is because, you know, rest, if you're if you don't have that lucky run, so to speak, and you're not just cracking the, the ceiling and all of a sudden you're in a cover of a magazine or, you know, you've been awarded this or that, you get the lucky break, um, you know, it kind of looks like a dead end road a little bit, you know, and there's there's different avenues to take. It's not all, you know, fire and brimstone. I mean, it's. Restaurant industry is great. You know, it's one of the best and oldest and coolest things to do. Yeah. But you have to find a way that you can sustain happiness in it, too. Are there any other benefits to this idea of a fast casual uh, that you've noticed that you think are worth sharing before we move on? Benefits of fast casual? Like operationally or? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. What about it's training? It, training? Yeah. 
It's it's quicker. Yeah, it's a lot quicker. It's easier. Um, I think you, you you don't have to have those old school skills. You really just look for personalities, mm. and it's <clears throat> it's fun to find people. I mean, case in point, we had this girl. We, we she works for us. She's great. She's a, kind of a neighbor of mine, and um, it's her first job ever. And she's in the first week, and we were crushed. And she was expediting the food from the service side. And doing a great job. She's never set foot in that side of a restaurant. And she was averaging $117 an hour. <laughs> it's like the tips were crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. How about that? Being 17. That is. And, and uh, you know, and all it took was, here, you stand here, read this, do this, blah, blah, blah. And she nailed it. Yeah. And that's all we asked of her. And it I mean, was great. It was yeah. nuts. Operationally, there's f- way fewer moving parts. Uh, it's streamlined. Way it's assembly fewer. line. Like, you can put... Anybody into like just one job, be like, you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Get them good at that and then slowly grow them. So you can, you can hire those 51 percenters like we talked about yep. with Danny Myers, the people that are majority personality and social and emotional intelligence. And then yeah. over time, you don't have to necessarily lean on their skills because you can develop those skills. So there's tons of benefits. I feel like we could go forever talking about the, the operational benefits of a fast casual. Um, I also want to talk about kind of where we are now, though. So you have this vision. Mm-hmm. of creating this thing that was the foods that you loved uh, for you know family and, and just ha- creating happiness and mm-hmm. le- like maybe like less pretentious. I don't know. but I would say so. Yeah. So yeah. did you achieve that? Like where are you now? Did you, you had your vision. Did you hit your vision? No, not yet. Okay. No, where are you? It. We're close. I mean, we're, we're driving, we're flying around the sun a little bit. We haven't hit it yet. Um, we're working really hard with our second store being built now that we're – trying to turn all the screws and, and get to that place. Because once that second one opens, there's no going back and redesigning the branding and the thought process and the thing. So that's been our whole motivation the past month. I mean, we spent, we closed yesterday just to do some more painting because okay. we decided that was too bright and that's too dark and we need color and blah, blah, blah. And, and we're doing that and we're trying to set a path for you know where we want to be as a as a as an image down the road. So, you know, when you think about creating a brand rather than just a standalone restaurant, it takes on a whole another entity. Every decision is so much more hyper focused and streamlined as well because you have to be able to replicate it a million times over. We want to be completely scalable. Mm-hmm. And so recipes have to be nailed down. Dishes need to be found in a way that you can get them again. It's chairs, yep. tables, all that, and then the the whole look of the place. So we have a really good logo. <laughs> That's awesome. I do love the brand. And yeah. uh, one thing I'm curious if, if you're worried about, because uh, we put so much emphasis on it up to this point, which is that idea of creating an impact and having a really close ties to the people that work for you. Are you afraid, like, if, if, if you grow, are, how are you going to maintain that essence, that, that soul, that mojo, that stuff that makes you you, when you start diluting yourself, how are you going to keep it strong? Do you have a plan for I, that? Well, I guess it, it, that's part of what we're doing now, too, is focusing on that, me, that menu aspect. Um, if, if, do we add dumplings? Because I can't think of a week in New York that I didn't go eat dumplings at the Eldridge Street Dumpling House because they're awesome. <laughs> and it's like $1.50 for a meal. And yeah. Every cook will tell you like $1.50 is a long time. You know, it's a beer and a shot at the you know, Cherry Tavern, but okay. that's another story. Um, <laughs> So we're looking at those aspects, but that's it. You know, we focus on 
getting that nailed down. Mm-hmm. And then we look, we've already hired a couple people that have come from popular restaurants here that are ready to move back and, and enjoy life. And so we have these heads of state that are going to be deployed in these different stores. And then our job is to just kind of make sure they're happy, fill them in on their days off and let them manage the, the whole thing. And so yeah. I don't know if you're diluting us anymore in, in the sense that we're all in it together and, yeah. you know, the boats keep, keep yeah. boat keeps rising. And I think a key part of that, like you mentioned, is uh, you're just focusing on the right here and now. Uh, and uh, there's this acronym I'll steal, steal from uh, John Lee Dumas, which is a podcast, kind of got me into podcasting, Entrepreneur on Fire. And he says, it's focus. Follow one course until success. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't get distracted by all, trying to grow because looking outward will distract you from what really matters, which is being impactful, making an, like a yeah, difference. Yeah, it's going to happen. Having this, so focus inward on the little things and grow slowly over time, and it will happen. Yeah. Just pay attention. So I love it there. So we kind of talked about where you are now. You're working on the brand. You're working on creating that further impact. What's really dive into the future? What's the, your plan for the future? What do you want to do with this thing? Well, just like I said that, <laughs> it projects all over the world now, so I don't know. Um, you know, I, I like... Well, you know, kind of getting into bed with this, the free point here and, and thinking about just how creating other menu concepts and things like that for people, it was, this was kind of fun. And I'm working with another guy down in New York with another thing, completely different, and finding no comfort zone in any of it. But at the same time, it's just food. Do these um, opportunities come to you? Uh, yeah, a couple, I don't know, a couple months ago. So why so. do these opportunities come to you? I don't know. I'm easy to work with, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> just like, do you think it has something to do with you just developing this reputation for yourself? I don't know. You'd have to ask around on that one. I, don't know. I, can't, I can't tell you that. Maybe Jenny can answer for us. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just one thing I have learned is over time, if you focus on, like you have, like we've discussed, you focus on other people. You focus about making it about other people. You create, the, you create this, you know, this team around you. You if you create opportunities for other people over time, like you will start to find opportunities coming to you. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the, the lesson to come full circle, like if you want to create opportunities for yourself, focus on creating opportunities for other people. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it seems counterintuitive, uh, but I just yeah. wanted to, you know, put, yeah, I think these other opportunities that. that I I'm starting to work on now are, you know, kind of partnerships with, with, a, with another old friend of mine in the sense that we've always danced around the idea of he was a front of the house guy, I was a back of the house guy, and what if we did something together? So he's got a situation in a couple places um, where he's potentially the partner. And once again, I'm just kind of subbed out. But the flexibility of being able to come and go is good for me. But having the concrete um, sort of skill set mm-hmm. for him is better and then also they you know we can probably work the press angle pretty well too so chef this has been a lot of fun uh i like to wrap up every interview by first is kind of finding out is there something i could have asked you something that we didn't get to talk about something that maybe like a big lesson that you learned in these two years since we've last talked that you would like to share with us now no i think we touched on really taking an honest look at where you want to be so I've always asked people, you know, when they come to me, whether it be cooks or whatnot, and say, you know, an interview question or something like that. So, you know, why do you like cooking? And how did you get into it? And where do you want to be in five years? And where do you want to be in ten years? And, and people always spit out, I want my own, my own place. So, like, is that really what you want? I mean, what do you 
Think about it. What time do you want to get up in the morning? You know, how many kids do you want to uh, have? How many cars do you want to drive? What kind of car do you want to drive? Where in this world do you want to live? Where, you know, what kind of house do you want to have? Do you want to, you know, where, do you, how much freedom do you want? How much time off do you, do you want to watch Netflix? I yeah. mean, those kind of things. Is this I hear a conversation talking. you have with them? Sure. And, 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 and people all have different, they don't think <laughs> it all the way through. They just say, ah, I want to open a restaurant. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, some say I want to operate something. I never want to own my own because they know the you know the risk involved or something like that. I'm like, ah, figure it out. So, what are you what are you looking for when you have this conversation with them? Are you looking to maybe save them some time? And are you looking out for? No, their, I their just businesses? like to see the. I want to see the wheels turning. Yeah, you know, and that's when you know you, you're what you're dealing with, and you know, the response there will also give you how much investment time there there is and what the investment is. So, you know, somebody wants to own their own restaurant or somebody says i want to work i want to drive a you know a g series and i want to have a boat <laughs> and i want a big ass house in these in this part in this part and this and I'm like all right so this is how you're going to do it you know because you can do that yeah you can obtain it yeah you just have to work really yeah. freaking hard to get there <laughs> and you have to give up everything else yeah. But if that's what you want, go for it. You awesome. know, it's not a bad thing. You know, I'm, I want a part in an apartment in Paris. That's it. That's what I'm working towards. <laughs> you're you're almost there. I feel like I'm you're, close. it's right here in the glory. There. Uh, I got so, a six-year plan. Don't worry about it. We'll see. Cook, this, know, we'll do this in six years. We'll see right? how I'm doing. I'll be ready when you're ready, Chef. Uh, so <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. I wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you admire. Somebody you think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you've been for us did you get my email no no i didn't (laughs) no so my thought was uh just because i saw him the other day and and their whole crew but is the 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 cats that are behind parlor sports trina starlight and um uh paddle in now okay uh boston bo and trina um josh childs and josh yeah all right and uh susie Josh Owls, Susie. Yeah. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Yeah, and they're good folk. How can we connect with you, Chef? If uh, we want to be a part of this, this thing that you're creating, super fine, what's the best way to connect? Well, you drive up to Manchester on 127. <laughs> you stop at 25 Union Street, and you scream when you open the door. All right. Yeah, that's the best good. way to do it. <laughs> All right. That's it. So uh, thank you so much for you know Thanks, joining bro. us again. And I just... I just want to you know, shine light one more time on people like you who do take time to make impact, to make it about other people, uh, and just to make it fun. So uh, thank you for being you. And there is no questioning, Chef. You are unstoppable. Word. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. We'll cut it there. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. I am only four minutes over. Four, I said four minutes over. I did okay, pretty good. Awesome. That was it? Good. Four minutes over? Well, we're going to turn the tables, I think, a little bit now. We're going to chat with Eric. Does that sound still good for you? Yeah, absolutely. Jared Jared put my beer too far away, and I didn't realize it until halfway through the interview. Good job. Thank you. All right, guys. So I hope you enjoyed the episode up to this point. Uh, It was a great first experience going live. Uh, Special thanks again to Chef Godette and to the Freeport Hotel for hosting this event. Now, uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. And uh, Jenny Johnson, uh, who was moderating the event, interviews me. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. 
This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran there's always something new to learn that never ends But what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the tipsy banner in the show notes. All right, we're back, and now it's time for me to be in the hot seat. Here it is. Chef drinking the beer the entire time. Why not, right? Oh, I know. He, he was making the beer look very good, was he not? I was staring at my out of the corner of my eye. I was just like, it's so funny. So, guys, you guys have an opportunity to ask some questions, too. But this is this is fun and, and slightly bizarre, right, to have the tables be turned a little bit, Eric. Yeah. But I, I think it'd be interesting for all of your listeners to get a sense of, why did you start this? You know, it's for me, like the decision really to, to make the commitment came down to a quote by I think it was Zig Ziglar. Somebody was quoting Zig Ziglar on an episode of mm-hmm. Entrepreneur on Fire I was listening to. And it was essentially like, you know, it's funny because like this quote changed my life, but I can never remember exactly what it is. Um, it's like, <laughs> you can accomplish anything in life as long as you make your life about helping other people accomplish what they want to accomplish. So I know I butchered the crap out of that quote. Yeah. But it's, the whole idea is um, that was like what pushed me over the edge because how great would it be to make your life about service others, which is essentially what the restaurant industry is. I was going to say, is. that is exactly and the essence of the yes. restaurant industry. Um, and I just, I saw so many incredible people doing podcasts out there who are changing lives. And I don't want to like get too mushy gushy, but podcasting changed my life in the sense that I was lost when I was 26 years old. I was a commercial pilot and I didn't want to do that anymore. It was not right for me. And I had to make a decision to resign from aviation. And I did not know where I was going to be. I love the hospitality industry, but I was $200,000 in school loan debt. You weren't going to go further down than exactly. that. Exactly. Right. So how can I do what I love? How can I be a part of an industry I love um, and help, you know, and, and still be able to help people? So, I mean, why I love the restaurant industry, and I, I've kind of figured this out over time, it's because I love to – I've always been a supportive role in the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know? So – 
I was never the rock star chef. I was never the rock star bartender, server. I was the guy. My favorite role was maitre d', host. Like, anything I can do to make everyone else's life better. Bar back. Like, I loved helping other people. And I get to do that now at the podcast. So, um, All right, so you mentioned Entrepreneurs on Fire. What are some other podcasts that you like listening to? Uh, right now, the big ones for me, uh, School of Greatness by Lewis House is a mm-hmm. great podcast, uh, which is really kind of similar to what I'm doing, kind of making an example of incredible people and uh, just getting inspired by them, learning what it takes to be great. Um, and there's that. There's... Um, the uh, Art of Charm, which is a lot of fun to listen to. And I can never remember the host's name, um, which is kind of embarrassing. It's a funny name. Jordan. Okay. There it is. Um, and that's a, really a, a podcast about social and emotional intelligence and uh, just about yourself. Like what you can do to make yourself better to, you know, understand or into like understand other people too. So it is such an inspiring platform. And you ask a lot of the folks that you talk to what's advice that they would give to you or they would give to your listener. What do you think out of all of those tidbits of information, if you gather them together, what is, what is sort of the most influential advice that you would say to someone who's seeking advice from all that you've gathered over oh, the course man. of these 300 um, episodes? <sighs> or a couple That's of them. That's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, there's so many things that pop to mind. Uh, I'm just going to start like rambling them off. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, you know, know your lane, um, mm-hmm. know why. Uh, so you can only find out why you love what you do unless you get out there and try different things, do stages, get experience and just, I don't know, just evolve inward. You know, mm-hmm. don't look outward for the, the answer, look inward for the answer and just do a lot of, self-reflection and find out what matters to you. And the best way to do that is to read, surround yourself with other incredible people, let their influence, their, their story, their journey, their, their, their opinions, uh, just get as many different like opportunities to rub off on other people yeah. or other people rub off on you. So you, you'll, over time you'll find what matters to you and you can't really do anything great. You can't have a dream like chef was talking about. You can't do anything really impactful unless you know what the frig you want to do, like what matters to you. Cause you're going to have to pass that off to everybody else around you. You're going to have to imprint that on everyone else you touch. So you have to know why you're doing it. So take the time, get the experience, figure out what you're doing and then know your lane. So chef mentioned earlier, the power of partnerships. We got into it a little bit more in the first interview, but you're going to need to be good at a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Find out what you're best at and kind of like what he's doing with super fine. He's doing certain items on a menu really well. What things can you do? What skills do you have that you can start doing really well and just do that friggin' thing better than anybody else and you will attract onto yourself the people who have the skills that you lack. Um, so focus on being really good at a few things uh, and attract onto yourself the people that are good where you're, you're weak and don't make it about growing fast, grow, grow inward, grow those skills, grow your knowledge uh, and be patient. It's something that comes up all the time on the show. Just be patient. Uh, we want to we to have that 150 seat restaurant tomorrow. Where can you start right now? Patience. Like, Patience. Get that, fi- get that food cart mm-hmm. and start figuring your shit out. Okay. You know? And over time, if you, if you focus on making an impact, you'll, you'll get there eventually. But you got to start where you can. Don't go too big. Scale back. Um, good good advice. Things. Yeah, good, I'll keep good going. Advice. If I don't stop, so. No, no, I hear you. No, <laughs> um, let's let's talk about you. You and I had a conversation before before we actually met today, um, just about this particular Q and A. We were talking about trends, and you had sort of this this reaction, like <laughs> I don't do trends, I don't talk about trends, and uh, so share with folks what what it is about sort of that idea of 
What do you see as the future of trends in the restaurant industry that that yeah. that doesn't quite settle from what you've gleaned from all of these talented folks? I'm, just, I'm gonna say now. There's two reasons why I don't like trends. So if I don't come around and make a second point, remind me that I said I was gonna give you two reasons because I'll go <laughs> off on a bunch of tangents. Um, so the first reason why I don't like trends is because of what Chef Godet shared with us. He isn't chasing a trend. He's chasing what's important to him, what matters to him, what his vision, his dream is. You don't get into this industry by copying someone's vision or like you can do that, but like you won't create anything truly special. So don't be looking at what other people are doing and copying what they're doing because that's not what's going to, they weren't trying to do that. Like they were doing what was important to them. Um, and today with, this is the second point. This is why trends aren't a good idea today. The world's so fragmented in the Mm -hmm. sense that we get information from everywhere. Mm -hmm. So what would have taken, um, years for a trend to develop 10 years ago to the point where like, oh, you learn about this, you can make it important where you are now. That trend that's important or really in- impressive in San Diego is going to be really cool in New York next week. And because of this ability to spread information, things are really cool right now. Like trends are coming and going faster right? than ever. The time that it takes you to build a business plan, find a team, get investors and open a, a a concept based off of a trend, the trend's going to be long gone. It does not work anymore. It does not make sense. Well, that plays along with that notion of sort of stay in your lane. Exactly. You know, really understand yeah. what drives you, yeah. what evokes passion in you, and then go with that. Yeah, at the end of the day, if it is successful, what's going to drive you isn't how well you nailed that trend. It's going to be how passionate you are about what you're doing. How you sustain. Because you need that endurance. Mm-hmm. And you won't get anywhere if you don't have that passion that fire in the belly that like pulls you out of bed every day because you love what you're doing who is the person that you're dying to have on restaurant unstoppable (sighs) i don't want to say it because i feel if it happens that i'm probably you're gonna gonna jinx yourself Um, here you know i i would love to get danny meyer on the show he's been called out a bunch of times rick bayless has been called out a bunch of times these dudes are like on a celebrity status so Mm -hmm. i get that they're busy um, you know, but sometimes I'll be honest, I, I get the best interviews from those people you wouldn't, you've never heard of. It's true. Um, so don't I be, tend to agree with you. yeah, don't be blind, blinded by the limelight. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're incredible people, but for them, it's not going to be special either because it's just another interview. Mm-hmm. So like, I love the, I just recently interviewed, uh, this gentleman, uh, Oscar Cabazos. Um, and he is somebody I met through my mastermind that I started hosting. And he's a guy who has got Allen, Texas, small, like, you know, small, I don't know. I don't know the population. I'm assuming it's small. <laughs> it's a tiny Maybe it's big. I could be wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, the point is like, I, I started just listening to him and he started just showing up with, and nailing all of his goals. Part of the, the point of the mastermind is to hold each other accountable and to really just think out loud and like be a support group. And he was coming to every meeting, crushing his goals. One, one of his goals was to lose weight. He crushed, he lost 30 pounds in a month. I'm like, and just the things he was sharing about, um, why he's doing the work he's doing and showing up every day to be a little bit better. And I was like, Oscar, I would love for you to come on the show. He's like, you sure? I was like, I don't want you to like to dilute the quality of your guests by having me on the show. It just gives you kind of an idea of like how humble, humble he is, he is yeah. you know? And, but he cares so much about people and it's not about what people have accomplished. Cause it's, you shouldn't, you shouldn't base success off of how much <laughs> attention you get. You should base it off of the impact you're having in people's lives. And like, that's something that he's doing really well through the stories. And that was an interview that I recorded yesterday, edited it this morning, live tomorrow, um, that just imprinted on me. So you never know 
where you're going to get that incredible piece of advice. And it's, it don't chase the limelight chase, mm. chase what is, what's important, which yeah, is because humility is quite yeah. powerful. And that, um, and that sort of allows you to have the space to learn and to understand where people are coming yeah. from. So, um, well, I hope it's been fun to sort of just to switch to switch seats for a little bit, and you're yeah. clearly doing a great job. And I think it's it's important to be able to share these stories. I. I find there's nothing more compelling than this hospitality industry. And it is in a lot of ways, a thankless industry. And you really have to have a little bit of self selflessness Mm -hmm. in your soul to be able to give of yourself again and again and again in that industry. And so for you to, you know, sort of dedicate your professional life to showcasing those stories is, is pretty cool. Thank you. So, um, it's been a pleasure meeting you. You as well. Guys, do you guys have any questions for Eric? Yeah, go ahead. I'll, 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 Repeat it. How did you have to? <laughs> there you go. Um, um, two questions. The chef talked about the elevating of professionalism in the industry, and I'm wondering, in all the interviews you've done, are you hearing more and more um, chefs talk about eliminating tips? And yeah. what is the impact of that? And second, um, because so many of us are foodies and watch all the celebrity shows and listen to the podcast, what is the impact of those of us who come to restaurants that these people have poured their lives into. Mm. And our elevation of what is expected is somewhere that maybe is impossible. I might make you, <laughs> I might make you repeat that second question because my memory is not that great. Um, but I'll start with the tip question. I will preface this by saying I never claim to be an expert. I he- I'm here to learn. I'm a student of the industry. And I'll give, yeah, and I'll give you what I've learned. Um, and I've learned a ton in 320 episodes. Um, but the, every day you're learning new things. And one of the things that comes up, the, I mean, the benefits to the no tip is kind of a, the cultural side of like, la- like leveling the playing field. Um, because, I mean, the back of house, I mean, going to culinary school, it's competitive today too. Uh, because with social media, like the food is getting better and better and better. And you need to know your stuff. And you put in crazy hours. You beat the crap out of your body. And they're going home making a, like not nearly as much as the front of house. And you can come in with almost no experience. Um, and really just crush it. So it's important that we take care of each other. And I think that's why a lot of people love the idea of um, the, the no tip policy, not just because of the minimum wage increase. And we have to have a way to kind of like governor that, uh, which is a part of it too. But it's, 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 you know, we're doing it to be proactive because of the minimum wage increase. We're also doing it because it takes a team, you know, to, to, you know, uh, not fly a ship, but what a ship's sail. Do? Sail, thank you. Sail. Jesus. Um, it takes a team. It'll, in due time, we will yeah. have ships that fly. So and There's difference. Like one of, the, one of the solutions is the no-tip policy. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of an outdated uh, way of doing things that I feel like we need to evolve out of. Um, and, but there's other solutions. Fast casual is another one of those solutions. El- eliminating the server altogether. Um, and then the other solution uh, is some restaurants are doing something where you're cross-training everybody, front of house and back of house. So, and you all make the same amount of money, and you just take turns doing things. So that's one thing that's really cool, too. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, I sit on the board of the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, so it's a, it's a constant conversation. Um, and, it, and the thing with the restaurant industry is there are so many nuances you know, where we're sitting tonight here at Freepoint is a totally different scenario than 
um, than super fine, you know, when you're in a city versus you're in a suburb. And it's really challenging to make an across the board. I mean, we, we see this in every aspect of our lives. But, but in a world that is constantly evolving, it is a big challenge. I think the greatest thing we're seeing is what you just mentioned, sort of that equal training <laughs> behind the house, in front of the house, because that's where the restaurant industry is evolving. We don't mm-hmm. want to have fast casual takeover to the extent that we're eliminating that interaction that we're able to have with our, you know, with our, with our servers, with our bartenders, with our maitre d's. We want to be able to sort of still engage in that way and not eliminate all interpersonal communication. So um, that to me seems, seems like the most promising. Was that kind of what, was that what yeah, you're hoping? I was curious, okay. Yeah. And I'm really happy I mentioned that I was going to forget what you were going to ask or the second question because I can't remember what you asked. Uh, well, the second <laughs> Yep. Um, in, the, in, in your podcast and your emphasis in you know, just different ways of looking at the food industry, the people who are in it, and we like uh, food, that our taste and our expectation level has, I think, elevated. And I oh, wonder yeah. what is the pressure or what is the impact on, on many of the people that you've talked to? Are they feeling that in the restaurants? So they <sighs> come to a place and have yeah. unreasonable expectations. I have this theory, and it's just a theory. Again, I'm not an expert. I'm just spitting stuff out that comes into my head. And one of the biggest challenges, we kind of touched on it earlier today, is the idea that we uh, there's not enough good employees. Out there. It's really hard to find passionate people working for you. But because the everybody's raising the bar on their food, I wonder if the hiring pool might – there's some things that are – play into it like there's not enough but there's not as many people being born or like that there's fewer people being born so like that age group is getting smaller um and people are getting more educated so like they want to get paid more for or they have specialized knowledge so that's part of it too but i think another part of it is collect your thoughts eric tangents i told you they're dangerous um oh man i totally lost it <laughs> it happens uh so man It'll come back to me. This happens a lot. Um, questions on... Now I'm just feeling silly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no need to feel silly. This happens all the time. Yeah, pressure. So here's the thing. Uh, the bar is being raised everywhere, right? So food's getting better and better. And the, the, to deliver food at that level, you need to be skilled. So there's, and you can't survive off of you know, frying potato, like, off of deep fried food anymore. So like, everybody's looking for that same talent. And there's more restaurants opening. Plus, you have people buying everything offline, so retail is going away. And the only way to fill these spaces is to put restaurants in there because no matter you can't buy you can buy food actually from Amazon, but it takes a long time to get there. You're hungry now, so you're going to go to a restaurant. So you have all these places opening, all looking for the same level of talent because to be competitive, you need to be just as good as all those other places. So the the hiring pool has stayed the same. Good restaurants are everywhere now. So I think, yeah, but it's also a good thing because it forces us as restaurant owners to not just, ex- like, to not be transactional. So we've gotten really far from, um, you know, we, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, your, your most basic needs are a paycheck and um, security and a roof over your head, right? So you get those things, everybody, like any restaurant owner can provide those things. But now we're being forced to feed into people's higher needs because to attract on the best talent, you need to feed into their higher needs. So it's, it's forcing people to evolve and to be transformative, not transactional. So that's a good thing. Um, so to summarize, like there are some good things coming out of this. It's forcing us to evolve and be better people. And Chef Gaudet is a perfect example of that. Like he attracts all these incredible people to himself because he cares about them. He's, he's investing in their, their careers. So 
the industry is getting better and it's, it, it was a really rough industry for a while and I, I'll talk forever and I'm no, sorry. No, I, no, I, no, no, it's great. Questions? It's great. It's sorry. passion. It's, yeah. It's in, impressive passion. So anyway, it's been a pleasure to, to meet you, Eric. Yeah. And, and I, I, you have a new fan. Likewise. You have a new fan. Thank um, you. On Restaurant Unstoppable. Awesome. So, anyway, great to meet you. Thank you guys. Yeah. Really cool to see you all here tonight. Did it record? Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> Thank you guys. So there you go. Another awesome episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable, but just not any episode. My first ever live recording. A special thanks one more time to the Free Point Hotel in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Chef Godette, Jenny Johnson, uh, everybody uh, for, for you know just doing this podcast. It was a ton of fun. Uh, and I think the big takeaways in, in today's episode, obviously, is just a... Uh, doing work that really fills you up doing work that contributes to your, your ultimate goal in life or what chef called was his dream. And, uh, you know, just having a lot of purpose behind the work you're doing. And, uh, as far as operationally, there's tons of benefits that chef shared with us regarding, uh, his fast casual concept, the operational benefits versus what he was doing with that, uh, extreme, uh, from scratch, nose to tail, everything the hard way <laughs> approach with Westbridge, which was which was amazing while it lasted, um, and just the power of relationships, the power of partnerships, uh, making it about your team, growing your team, and investing in your team, uh, sharing the piece of the pie uh, is a huge, no, big part of it too. I think just everybody having uh, a cut and sharing the wealth, and you might lose you know, the monetary value up front, but in the long run, when you share the piece of the pie or pieces of the pie with everybody, uh, you're all a little bit better off and it's a much more sustainable lifestyle. And over time you can really build something special. So tons of great topics and things covered in today's episode. One more time, chef Godet, Thank you. And I hope you guys enjoy that, that ending there. Uh, that was kind of fun to have the tables turned on me and, um, I can't wait to do more of these live events, guys. That's what it's going to be like going forward. Uh, you know, I hope it's better. I hope you're you're liking the direction I'm taking the podcast. Let me hear your thoughts. Shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantsunstoppable.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Eric Cacciatore. Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Shoot me uh, those requests for the one-on-one chats. I love those requests. And... Uh, Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. My goal is to break 100 reviews by the end of May. We're at 91. Nine more to go, guys. Keep them coming. I'll give you a shout-out if you do. I'll call you out in the next episode if you leave that review. Uh, And that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.